Okay, so we're going to look at uh, Song of Solomon. So please turn there in your Bibles, because um, we'll we'll read quite a quite a lot of it. And uh, please don't don't be shy about asking questions. Um, I have I have preached through the whole book, so I'll, I'll put a link to the to the sermons. Um, in in the group, uh, at some at later on, um, there's a lot more detail there in those in the sermon series. Um, so so this is really a, a flyover. Uh, it's a book that I've wrestled with for for many years, and uh, I've I've had various interpretations. Uh, but I'm I'm pretty settled now in what I believe is the correct interpretation. So, as you know, Song of Solomon is in the wisdom literature. So, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon; those are the five five books in wisdom literature. And uh, uh, Song of Solomon, if you look at chapter one, verse one, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon. So. It's uh, really an uh, by Solomon, I would argue. Although it's not a, a hill to die on if it's some, it's written about Solomon, but um, I would I would su- suggest it's written by Solomon. Uh, the Song of Songs simply means it's the greatest of songs. Just as we we had the phrase the King of Kings, we know that means the greatest of kings. Jesus is King of Kings, and so this is the greatest of songs, and it's a love song. Um, uh, I would see it as Solomon's idealized picture of a romance and what courting should be and what uh, sexual intimacy should be, but uh, not something that he experienced. Uh, remember, he had, you know, sort of 700 wives and 300 concubines, and so he didn't know this proper biblical picture of intimacy uh, and so I think it's written in as almost as like a, re, a, a song of repentance Solomon is saying this is what I should have had this is what would have been godly and right one man one woman pure holy intimate vulnerable uh, and beautiful and lifelong okay and so um uh, we will we will look at that in the in the song. Um, it is it is difficult just because of the the genre. There's been a lot of debate in church history over exactly what it means. So, um, at certain times in church history, and I would say uh, influenced by the culture, um, it's either been seen as a a uh, purely an, a, a picture of Christ and the church. So it really has nothing to say about sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. It's it's typological language of Christ and the church. And then generally today, Song of Solomon is seen as simply a, a sex manual. It's It's got nothing to do with Christ and the church. It's just about how to have great sex and, and uh, great relationships 
uh, and so they reduce it to that. I would say that it's both, that it is a practical manual on courting and what to look for in a future spouse, uh, the beauty of sexual intimacy and that it is to be uh, lifelong. But all of Scripture points us to Christ in, in some way or another. And uh, the Song of Solomon is no different. It shows us Christ. Uh, not every verse, uh, you know, so otherwise it would be quite weird in some places if you try and squash uh, the Lord Jesus into it. But big picture, it shows us the love of Christ and the beauty of Christ and also the beauty of, of union with Christ. So... Uh, marriage and sexual intimacy in marriage is a picture of, of oneness um, and uh, sexual intimacy goes beyond or marriage and sexual intimacy goes beyond any other friendship. Okay, So we have, have friends, we have dear friends, we have close friends, but uh, sexual intimacy in marriage then pushes and say there is something even deeper, even closer and that should be reserved for one person, your husband or your wife. So as we go through it, uh, we, will, we will seek to learn practical application, but then also to see how does, it, how does it show us the Lord Jesus Christ as well and uh, his love for us. Okay, so it's poetry. So we need to read it uh, in, in poetic form. It's not... It's not straightforward uh, proverbs or um, just didactic teaching, so the genre is important. Um, so uh, the breakdown and the structure of the book, there are many different arguments, um, and we won't get into that. Uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to go through it as I see after reading a lot and studying a lot. Um, because our sexuality is such a, an important part of us, uh, it's something that I really wanted to understand. You won't find, funnily enough, you won't find many sermons on the Song of Solomon, um, but you will find a series at Heritage, so you can you can go and listen to that. Um, but I think it's really important because uh, we are not defined by our sexuality, because that would mean if someone's not sexually active, they're not fully human, and that's nonsense. The Lord Jesus never married, and he was the most human person that ever existed. Uh, so we're not uh, less than if we're not married or sexually active, not at all. But God has made us male and female, and uh, he has uh, called uh, for men and women to marry. And so we need to, to understand what's going on here. So as we go through it, it can be quite painful because all of us are uh, sexually broken. Um, all of us uh, are, have sinned in the area of sexuality uh, or been abused sexually, um, maybe uh, sinned outside of marriage, maybe an affair, maybe premarital sex, uh, maybe pornography, maybe sexual abuse. Um, so we are all broken uh, to one degree or another. And as we go through this, I want you to remember it's idealized. So if you are married, it's not to say, oh, 
um, you know, because I don't have this, then then to 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 fall into the doldrums, uh, because this points us beyond a wonderful physical relationship and a wonderful marriage to uh, union with Christ, and Christ is the only one who can truly satisfy us. Um, and if you're single. Uh, and you and we go through this. It could increase your longing for for marriage. So um, uh, that can also be painful. You know, you really long to get married, and going through this uh, just makes that that desire even greater. Uh, but again, um, one pastor said, "You know that you're ready to get married when um, you're not willing to just settle for." the first person who comes along. Okay, so when you haven't when when marriage is no longer an idol for you, that's when you're ready to to get married. So okay, so uh let's see chapter one. Um verse two, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, uh, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Uh, draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. So you'll probably notice, hopefully you have your Bibles in front of you, that there are various headings. In the ESV it says, she said that, and then it says others, or chorus, some Bibles may say, and then she, and then he. Those headings are not original. Um, the The commentators have put them in, so there might be slight differences uh, but generally, they 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 agree uh, using the um, the gender in the Hebrew and um, just putting it together like that. And so, uh, this is this is the lady speaking, the Shulamite. That's that's her name. We'll see that later on. And then Solomon is is the man. Remember, it's idealized. This is really his what he wished he had. Okay, so um, uh, it is very clear from this section that she has a strong desire for him. Okay, so she's saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. His love is better than wine. Um, And so she has a desire for him. So they are already in a relationship and she she desires him. Uh, and that's right. Yeah, you know, it would be uh, silly to be to be courting someone, to be wanting to get married, and you have no physical desire for the person. Okay, of course, we have to be careful. It doesn't go into lust and to sinful lust. Um, but, uh, you know, ordinarily, it, it's not, 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 uh, not a good situation if you don't have a physical desire for the person that you're going to marry. Um, it doesn't mean it has to be, you know, massive and, and uh, anything like that. And also when people are older, uh, maybe there's less physical desire, etc., etc. But ordinarily, there must be this desire. She says that uh, his anointing oils are fragrant and his name is oil poured out. Name is a reference to character. And so when you are going out with someone, you want to look for their character. The, I, the picture here of oil poured out um, is oil would be crushed, the olives the olives would be crushed, and 
the oil would come out of it. And that oil was precious. In fact, the word that's used here is oil that's used in the temple uh, for light in the or in the tabernacle. Uh, and so the picture here is is one of the character of Solomon, the character of the man. So this is a, an application. Um, the first thing you need to take note of is the character of the person that you that you're going out with, that you that you're looking at. What is their character? What is their name? Uh, when they're crushed, when they're put under pressure, what comes out of them? Is it oil or is it something else? Uh, so uh, make sure that you see the, the potential spouse under pressure. So there's no rush. Don't, uh, you don't have to rush into these things. You want to see how does this person respond under pressure? Uh, what is their character like? Are they abusive? Are they arrogant? Are they controlling? Are they manipulative? Are they liars? Um, and don't deceive yourself. Don't think, oh, I'll change them or they'll change later. Uh, that is uh, highly unlikely because marriage is even a, a more high-pressure setting. Um, so here, uh, he, he smells beautiful as well. Again, that's the idea of character. Okay, uh, What sort of character does the person have? Um, therefore, virgins love you. So, uh, virgins is picture of godly, godly ladies. Uh, and so, again, what do other people, godly people, think of this person? Very important. If you're, if you're hiding away, we'll see that they meet in public. If you're hiding away in your relationship, it's all secretive and nobody knows about it. You don't know who the person's friends are. And when you do meet them, they're not virgins. They're not honorable, godly people. They're worldly people. You see, that's, that those are all uh, red flags. What do other godly people think of this person? People who know this person. Um, you know that saying, I'm sure you can, you can tell a person from the company that they keep from there, from their friends. So here are some wonderful principles uh, when you're looking for the right person. Um, uh, then the chorus sing. Uh, then she speaks about herself. Verse 5, I'm very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, those were Bedouin tents. It was a special wool that was dark. So she says she's dark, like the curtains of Solomon, which would have been purple. Uh, Do not gaze at, at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Okay, and so there's a play on words here. Uh, at that time, and um, at certain times in history, if you, if you're, if you um, are familiar with like uh, Jane Austen's writing, Pride and Prejudice, and that fair skin for a lady was highly prized. So she's, she is somebody who works outdoors, and so she's in the sun. You notice she says that. The sun has looked upon me. So she's, uh, she's hardworking. She's, she's working out in the vineyard. She's out in the sun, and so she says she's dark, okay, because of the sun, but lovely. So she knows that there is uh, an inner beauty to her, but the reason that, that she's darker is because she's been working in the in the sun, which in that culture at the time was frowned upon. But we, this is a good point 
because it means she was a person who submitted to authority. Okay, she she went out to work in the vineyard so that she she wasn't able to care for her own vineyard. That's a, 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 a metaphor for her body. So she couldn't take care of herself so much because she was out working. Uh, and that's another thing you want to look for. So for men uh, looking for a wife, look for a wife who is willing to work hard and who has a submissive spirit, uh, submits to authority, submits to um, her father, not in sin, obviously, submits to her father, uh, submits in the church, um, and is a hard worker. Proverbs 31, when you go through it, this idealized picture of of a godly woman, the theme over and over again isn't, you know, she looks really great, she has great fashion sense, she's etc., uh, etc., et what comes out over and over again is that she is a hard worker. Okay, She works hard. She gets up early. She works hard. She goes to bed late. She has initiative. She is entrepreneurial. Um, and so um, often, often men get sidetracked and uh, are, are judged by appearance. Um, as opposed to here... What's her attitude? What is her disposition? And is she a hard worker? She is a hard worker. Uh, verse 7, tell me, you who my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Um, and then the ESV says he, but I would argue it's the chorus who responds to her in verse 8. If you do not know a most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. So she's, she wants to know where Solomon is. Uh, and the answer is, well, he's out looking after his flock. So Solomon here is pictured as a shepherd. Okay, Again, hardworking uh, but a shepherd, he's a king, but he's a shepherd. And that's the picture in scripture of what a man is supposed to be, a shepherd king. So not a tyrant, not a dictator, not lazy, not abusive. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the picture of a shepherd king. Uh, he is the king, he has authority, but he is not a dictator, he's not a tyrant. He submits, he serves as a, as a shepherd, caring uh, and so uh, he has this picture of, of Solomon. Uh, uh, then he speaks in verse 9 about her. He says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Okay, so um, uh, one, of the, one of the strange things... Uh, about Song of Solomon, that that um, as you read it, as some of the things that are said about that Solomon says about her. Um, so, um, in chapter four, uh, your eyes are doves, your hair is like a flock of goats, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. That's sheep. Uh, that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Okay, so very strange language, maybe to our ears, 
Uh, here he says, you know, you're like a horse, a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Uh, her hair is like, like goats. Uh, so probably not what you want to want to write in a love letter today. Um, it would probably be a bit offensive if you called someone a horse. Uh, but in the, in the time, uh, it, it was beautiful. And if you get the, the principle behind it and what he's saying, it, it is still beautiful. Um, but it's just quite different from, from where we find ourselves today. Um, okay, a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Well, uh, a mare is a female horse. Uh, Pharaoh only had uh, male horses. Um, and so if when a female horse came around near all the male horses, they would go crazy over her. Okay, and so that's what he's saying. You're, you're this amazing woman, okay? Um, all, all the men want to be with you. That's, that's how I see you. Uh, your cheeks are lovely. Uh, and so there's this, this beauty to her. Uh, the chorus says, we're going to make ornaments of gold for her. Uh, then she responds in verse 12, while the king was on his couch, uh, my nod gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Okay, and so uh, the idea that he is precious to her, okay, um, uh, verse 16, she says, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, that's the grass. The beams of our house are cedar, uh, are cedar. our rafters are pine. So he's saying the cedar, she's saying the cedar and the pine trees are the rafters of their house. So what that's saying is, uh, when they would meet, they would meet out in the open. Okay, They would meet in... in in public spaces, as we'll see, he takes her to a restaurant, to a banqueting hall. Uh, and that's very important. When you're courting, make sure that you are in public spaces, that you are out in the open. Um, it is when you are alone uh, in a home, in an apartment, when nobody else is around, that's when you are tempted to sexual sin. But if you are in public, in front of other people, um, it's a restraint, okay? And so it is good to go out in groups. It's not wrong to be alone, um, but but ensure that it is in, in public, okay? It doesn't matter how strong you think you are. If you think you're strong, remember what does Scripture say? You need to take heed. If you think you stand, lest you fall. Um, God has created us with a sex drive, and it is a wonderful thing, but it is a dangerous and powerful thing as we'll see later on, love and sexual desire is, is incredibly potent. Um, that's why God says it is, but for a man and a woman in marriage. Okay. Um, chapter 2, she talks about herself, verse 1, I am, a I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. This is how she views herself. She says, I'm simply a rose of Sharon, uh, a lily of the valleys. Um, she's saying, I'm just a common flower. There's nothing great about me. Um, and and so, uh, again, an insight. All of us battle with insecurities and inadequacies. Um, 
here she is feeling that. And then he responds and he says, verse 2, As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young woman. So he says, no, you're not just a lily of the valleys. You're not just a lily amongst all, a whole lot of other lilies. You're a lily amongst thorns. Okay. Uh, so again, uh, in marriage and in courting, that person uh, must be the most beautiful person on the planet to you. Okay. Um, they must be a lily. And all other women, all other men are are weeds in that sense, okay? Um, uh, that's important, that you only have eyes for, for that person. Um, we're going to skip through some verses, so we, we have time to finish everything. But I'm just trying to give you the keys to, to understand the language. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, he brought me to the banqueting house. Uh, and his banner over me was love. Okay, so um, again, he, he takes her, literally it's a house of wine. Wine is a common theme throughout uh, the Song of Solomon. And so wine is a gift from God to bring us pleasure and joy. Drunkenness is a sin. The drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, but wine is, is, is a gift from God for pleasure. Uh, and so... Uh, he brings her to, to this restaurant. His banner over her is his love. He's not ashamed of her. Um, again, the danger of falling into secret relationships in the dark. Uh, you must, if someone is treating you like that, it, what's going on there? They're dishonest. Their character is ungodly. They're ashamed of you. They're not willing to be in public. They want to do things that are illicit. Uh, you, you should be meeting in public. should not be ashamed of the person that you're with. Um, verse 6, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Uh, that posture is a posture of sexual intimacy, a sexual position. Uh, so you say, well, you know, I thought they're courting. They are courting. And she wants to she wants to be with him. As I said, it's not sinful. It is it is right that you have a, a desire to be with your future husband or wife. Okay, uh, it would be strange if you have no desire to uh, to be with your future husband or wife. But look at verse seven. So that's her desire. She says in verse five, she is sick with love. Verse seven. She says, I adjure you, I put you under oath, O daughters of Jerusalem. So the other, the other ladies, her friends, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is an important principle. She has desire and he has desire for her, but do not awaken love until the right time. She says, under oath. Okay. Uh, if you have sinned sexually, premarital sex, there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, repent of it. Confess it to the Lord. Um, repent to the person that you sinned against. There is forgiveness, uh, but there will always be consequences to our sin. 
if you haven't gone down that path, praise the Lord. Uh, and make sure you don't go down that path, okay? Um, it's not to say, oh, if you keep yourself, you're just going to have a great sex life. No, marriage is much more complicated and there's all these principles. So you can't say, oh, no, I've kept myself. Um, I'm going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. No, there's all these other principles, choosing the right spouse with these character traits and how they react under pressure, etc., etc. But this is a critical principle here. Do not awaken love before it's time. Don't get into those situations where you awaken love. Awaken love here is a euphemism for sexual intimacy. Okay. The next section is the engagement. So now there, he's saying, come, come with me. Let's go and get married. Uh, look at verse uh, 10. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And then he starts talking about spring and new life and all of these things, this wonderful picture of marriage and fruitfulness. Uh, but he's calling her now to, to marry. Come, come away with me. This is the engagement. Uh, before that, verse 9, uh, verse 8, he, he's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. Verse 9, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. So you see he's passionate and energetic. I think the picture here is he's looking through the lattice. He wants to get to know her. And so again, in courting, it's the opportunity to get to know the person. What are their dreams? What are their fears? Um, yeah, to really get to know a person. What? It, it's no use that if you want to, you know, become a missionary to China, and uh, your future spouse wants to live in Santon. Uh, you know that that's a big difference. Okay, so you need to get to know those things. Don't say, oh, we'll figure it out later. Those are big things. Uh, maybe you have big theological differences. Um, when I'm doing premarital counseling, I say, those theological differences might not be so big now. You might be able to get get over them now. But if you have children, it's going to put tremendous pressure on the marriage because the one the one parent is going to want to inculcate these theological principles and the other parent is is totally against them it's going to cause friction so uh, get to know the person uh, what are they like what do they dislike what are their hopes what are their dreams um, verse 15 catch the little fox catch the foxes for us the little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in blossom and so i think that's also dealing with with sin the things that destroy relationships things the foxes here would go and nip the buds, and so there wouldn't be fruit. And so you're looking, you look forward, hopes and dreams, what are your desires? You get to know one another, but you also look back. It's not to say this all happens on your first date, okay? Definitely not. Uh, but there must come a time as well where you also confess your sin. If there is sin, especially sexual sin, uh, you deal with those foxes um, before, before. In, um, marriage. Okay. Then she has a dream in chapter 3. Uh, it's the first of two dreams <clears throat> that she has. Uh, 
Um, and so she's, she, uh, the, in the dream, she, she's looking for the one that she loves, but she can't find him. So she's worried. She gets up and she goes to look for him. Um, she can't find him. Um, and then verse three, the watchman found me as they, they went about in the city. Have you seen him who my soul loves? Okay. So the watchmen here are overseers. That's the picture. And so I think the principle here is that um, uh, it's before they're married, they're engaged. She's longing to be with him. Uh, the watchmen are are the are a picture of spiritual leaders, and they point her in the right direction, and um, uh, and so she finds him, um, and she holds him, and then again, verse five, there's a repetition. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir or up or awaken love until it pleases. So she's longing to be with him. She's directed uh, by godly leaders to this right person. So I think the idea of counsel, godly counsel, also comes in here. But again, even though they're engaged, uh, they must still keep sexual intimacy until they are married. Okay, um, And then we come to the wedding, verse 6. Uh, what is that coming up from the wilderness? Now, weddings today, the focus is on the bride. Weddings at this time, the focus was on the groom. Um, and so the focus in this wedding is on Solomon. Okay, And... He is described as coming up from the wilderness. And I think there's an important principle here. So the wilderness in the Bible is a time of testing. So, uh, you know, just because you're a, a man uh, and you're old enough to get married doesn't mean you should marry or are qualified to marry. The picture here is one of testing. Okay. Um you need to be tested. Um, all the way in Scripture, we find that, as I said, the wilderness is a time of testing, uh, where character is formed. And so it comes back to that, that earlier uh, passage about the oil that comes forth, like the, when it's crushed, what comes out, what type of character does a man have? Okay, um, So... Uh, you know, the Bible has lots to say about what it means to have a godly character and what it means to be a man. We don't have time to go into that, but um, that's important. Not perfect, of course. None of, uh, we're, we're constantly, until the day we die, we are growing in holiness, uh, but a maturity. Um, but this this description of Solomon goes beyond Solomon and points us to Christ. I don't know if you remember when we did the Psalms, uh, we looked at Psalm 45, which was a, a wedding psalm for the king. But again, it goes, it's used in the New Testament as referring to Christ and the church. And so here we see this goes beyond that. If you look at, um, uh, it says like columns of smoke. He's coming out of the wilderness like columns of smoke. And um, in the Old Testament, 
earlier in the Old Testament in Exodus, there's the pillar of smoke, and we also looked at um, the covenant that Abraham made, passing the, 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 the smoke went between the, the cut animals. And so I think this, again, is a pointer to, to God, to the Lord Jesus, uh, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense. Uh, and of course, if, you, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that. Uh, they brought myrrh and frankincense to the Lord Jesus. Okay, and so I think that myrrh and frankincense and gold are the three ministries, uh, prophet, priest, and king. So here we have prophet and priest. Um, we'll come to king just now in verse 9. King Solomon made himself a carriage. Um, uh, verse 7, behold, it is the litter of Solomon. So it's, it's, a, it's a box that... Um, Solomon would sit in that was had poles through the side and you would have men who would carry it and so he would sit on the sort of portable throne and again in the Hebrew it reminds us of the tabernacle so again pointing to God himself and around it are 60 mighty men now we know that David had 30 mighty men and so this is double double David okay so double the greatness of David and who is David's greater son but Jesus Christ and so again we're rushing through this um, but to to uh, to say this points beyond Solomon to Christ and then it says all of them wearing swords and expert in war each with his sword etc I think here as a principle um, for husbands uh, God calls us to be um, those who are to to be prophets and priests in our homes and kings, um, shepherd kings. Uh, we are to uh, lay down our lives for our wives. Uh, we are to provide for them. We are to protect them. And so the idea of protection comes here. Um, and in Ephesians, it speaks of a spiritual protection, washing of your wife with the water of the word, but also, of course, physically protecting your wife as well. Um, okay, we're going to... How's our time? Okay, we're going to jump jump ahead. Um, we come to the honeymoon. That's chapter 4. Okay, and it really is quite something. Um, uh, honeymoon, in many ways, can almost be a be a make or break in 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 a wedding um, uh, it is a time of great vulnerability um, especially for a lady um, uh, it's supposed to be a, a a precious unique beautiful time um, but often as men it's not not really sort of seen like that it's just seen you know i can't i can't wait uh, to sleep with my wife, um, but here I think is is the richest teaching on on the intimacy in honeymoon. And what you'll notice is it's not rushed. Um, he is is uh, very patient, and he looks at her and he talks to her. He says how beautiful she is. Her eyes are like the, the eyes of do a dove, which means there is gentleness. She's a gentle lady. Um, 
Uh, let's go down to verse 4. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Okay, and so this lady has dignity, strong neck. That's a picture of dignity, the Tower of David. Uh, and there's shields hanging on her neck. That's the picture. So um, there's strength. Uh, she has wonderful strength, but they're at rest. Okay, they're hanging. They're not being used in warfare. Okay, and so uh, they're not fighting here, but there's an acknowledgement of her strength and her dignity. Uh, verse 5, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Um uh, and so what you find is that he uh, he's looking at her and there's a movement uh, from the top of her body. He moves down from her hair, uh, her face, her eyes, her neck, her breasts. And so he moves down like that. Um, verse 6, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. And so he wants to, what he's saying is, he wants to make love to her the whole night uh, until the morning. Okay, and so again, it's not some rushed thing. Uh, many many weddings are, you know, they go until late at night, uh, and the couple only gets to their hotel or wherever they're going to stay at like two, three in the morning. It's really not ideal to try and be intimate then. Um, it's not going to be special. Um, and so here. There's patience and beauty and kindness. And he's acknowledging her as a person, not just an object, not just a body. Uh, he's seeing her for who she truly is. Uh, he says, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Those are, uh, he's referring to her breasts. Uh, their names that he's named her breasts. Mountain of myrrh and hill of frankincense. And so I think there's some humor there as well. Uh, and so... Um, uh, it's it's also important that that sexual intimacy has humor as well. It's not just a super serious thing. It's a time of joy and um, uh, rejoicing. Uh, you're altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Um, okay, we we're going to skip over a few things. Um, Verse 12, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. And so here, a garden locked and sealed is a euphemism for her, um, for sexual intimacy, for her body. Uh, and so it's locked. The idea there is that there is there's only one person who has the key, and that's her, her husband. And now look at verse 16. Awake. O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my God and let its spices flow. So very erotic language. It's important to note that uh, the Bible is never pornographic, but it is erotic. Okay, and there is a difference. Um, uh, this is very, we, it, the, the language here and is referring to, to um, the sexual organs, the genitalia and uh, sexual intimacy, but in such a way that it's it's not 
not pornographic. It doesn't put your mind in the gutter. It's, it's beautiful. It's uh, erotic in the right way. But notice she says, awake. Remember, all the way along, been saying, do not awaken love. But now on the honeymoon, awake. Okay, now is the, is the time for love to be awakened. Um, not in some rushed sort of um, uh, sexual intimacy, you, you know, just quickly before we fall asleep. It's on the honeymoon. It's, it's recognizing the dignity of the person, honoring one another, loving one another, um, uh, and, and, and it, it's a glorious thing. Okay, now... Remember, it's idealized, and this is not the pattern for for every sex, every act of sexual intimacy in marriage. If you if you were going to make love through the whole night every single time, you would both fall apart as human beings. You wouldn't be able to function properly. You wouldn't be able to work. Um, uh, this is the honeymoon. Uh, Al Martin said that it's like uh, sexual intimacy is like. Uh, you can liken it to meals. So uh, meals, sometimes you have, uh, you'd have your regular meals. Sometimes you'd have takeaways. And then other times you have three course meal at a, at a five-star Michelin uh, restaurant. And so uh, that's sort of the pattern as well. Um, okay. And so then uh, there's the consummation um uh, of their of their marriage and uh, the chorus says in chapter 5 eat friends drink and be drunk with love you know enter into this 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 sexual intimacy this romance but now there are problems okay and so i believe that song of solomon is not just you know courting honeymoon and then just you know, a sort of a few days of their marriage. I believe that it represents courting and their whole marriage. Uh, and now we come to problems, and there are going to be problems in marriage. Um, it's it's just the reality because it's two sinful people coming together, and there are going to be problems. And here uh, are the problems. Um, it's it's a another dream. Uh, Verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake. Um, I sound, my beloved is knocking, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew. So she's, 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 um, she's gone to bed. Uh, you can see that in uh, verse 3, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had, I had bathed my feet. I've cleaned my feet. I've got into bed. Um uh, and now Solomon has come in. He's been out looking after the sheep. He's got wet. Uh, and he's returned from work. And he wants to be intimate with his with his wife. Uh, and so he he knocks on the door. He tries to open the door. And she's, she's uh, you know, I've already, I'm already in bed. I've already cleaned myself. How, how could I, uh, you know, I don't want to get up. Um, but her heart changes and verse 5, she does eventually get up and she goes to the door handle. Uh, now, we understand that sometimes 
husband and wife would sleep in separate rooms, okay? So uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world, and even today that, that also happens, okay? And so um, she goes to open the door. She's rebuffed her husband, but he has been kind to her. He put He put perfume on the door handle. So we get here an insight into how we should react when we are hurt by our spouse, okay? Um, The Bible is very clear that ordinarily, so I'm not talking about situations of ill health or um, legitimate reasons, and they might be emotional and abuse, etc., etc. Lots of things we can go into, uh, reasons why a couple may not be intimate. Um, But ordinarily, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 you know, that a, a wife's body belongs to the husband and the husband's body belongs to the wife. And you shouldn't defraud one another. You shouldn't withhold sexual intimacy from one another. Uh, and so she's doing that. But he responds by still putting, leaving a gift for her. He leaves beautiful perfume on the door handle. Um, and that's a lesson for us. Often when, when, a, when our spouse hurts us, uh, we respond in an ungodly way, in aggression, in rudeness, in unkindness, in tit for tat. Well, if you're going to do that to me, I'm going to do this to you. Uh, and yet this is not how, how Solomon responds. And it's not how the Lord responds to us. Uh, we, we often re- rebuff the Lord, reject the Lord. He wants to spend time with us and we're not interested and yet he doesn't destroy us or strike us down with lightning. He continues to be kind to us. Um, uh, now she goes to look for him and this dream turns into a nightmare. The watchman actually uh, beat her. Now you need to remember it's, it's poetic language. It's, it's, a, it's a dream within a poem. It's like inception. It's uh, very, very weird. So don't read too much into it. Simply, I would simply say this is a consequence of sin that the Lord chastens. There's discipline. Um, okay, anyway, she, she goes and she finds him. And um, uh, she responds by saying she, she loves him. And she describes her love for him in um, how radiant he is. If you look at chapter 5, verse 10. Um, his head, verse 11, his head is the finest gold. Gold in scripture speaks of purity. So again, his his mind is not dirty. His mind is pure. His head is gold. It's There's a purity to him. Um, his eyes are like doves, the same as hers. There's a gentleness. Uh, um, we just, as I said, we're jumping through this. Verse 14, his arms are rods of gold set with jewels again his actions so his thoughts his mind and his hands are gold there's a purity in the way he thinks and the way he acts Um, uh, his legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold so his foundation is solid alabaster is again purity Um, and so these are all pictures of his character again and that she loves him um but she can't find him. She's telling the, the, the chorus this. And then she says, you know, where is he gone? And they say, well, where do you think she's gone? And then she says, okay, well, he's a shepherd in chapter 6. 
um, he's looking after after um, uh, the sheep. Okay, so she basically they're saying, well, you know, you should know the character of this man. Where do you think he would be? He's a shepherd. He he's looking after the sheep, and so she goes and she finds him, and it's a wonderful picture. She's come to repent. Um, <clears throat> and when he sees her, it's it's like uh, the prodigal son. You know, when the father saw the, the son, the son had this whole repentance speech worked out and the father didn't even give him a chance to say it. He just embraced him. Look at how he responds to her in verse 4 of chapter 6. You are beautiful as Terza, my love, lovely as Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, Terza was an oasis. Um Verse 5, turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Uh, he's overwhelmed by her. She's just too incredible. Uh, and so this is important for the ladies. Um, uh, ladies need to realize that they have, a tr- they have a tremendous power, God-given power. It's an incredible thing to be a woman. Um, you see the power that Eve had over Adam um, in the wrong way. Don't use that power in a sinful way over over men. Use it in a godly way. Um, he then he then he says exactly what he said to her in chapter four before they were married. So now they're married. They've had problems. They've been on their honeymoon, but he says exactly the same thing again to her. She is still as beautiful to him as when they were courting. Okay, and again that it's a beautiful picture. Uh, we live in a world where what happens? Uh, it, it used to be traditionally men, but now it's men and women uh, trade in their spouse after ten years or five years or whatever it is, or fifteen years or twenty years. They have a midlife crisis. They trade in on a newer model. Uh, it's devilish. Here, he still sees her the same way as. Uh, before they were married. Um, okay, and so um, uh, then the, she looks to see if there's fruit, verse 11, in the relationship. And before she was aware, verse 12, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. So uh, while she was still hoping to see, is our relationship still okay? He put her in the chariot in a place of prominence. And so, um, you know, like the Lord, you know, when you go to him in repentance and say, Lord, please forgive me, you know, will you accept me? You're accepted. Uh, you're loved. You're lifted up. Um, and then verse 13, the chorus, that's her friends, say to her, return, return, O Shulamite. That's her nickname. Return, return, that we may look upon you. So her friends say to her, return. Then, um, I, I think it's, it's her speaking here, not him. Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? That's a hard passage to translate. You can even see there's a, a footnote there. So what I think is going on here is that her friends are calling her to come back. So she had these friends, her girlfriends. Now she's married and they want her to come and play with them and come and dance with them. And she says, no, I'm not there for you anymore. And that's important. 
Uh, right in Genesis, it's to leave and cleave. It's not to say you can't have friends once you're married, but that relationship changes. It can't be the same anymore. Your best friend is now your spouse. Um, you, you're no longer there for, for those other people. Uh, you're there for your spouse. Um, then he speaks in verse, chapter 7 and starts to say how beautiful she is. This time he starts at her feet. Remember on the honeymoon he started at her head and went down. Now he starts at her feet. Her feet are in sandals. Now not everyone had sandals. Sandals were a sign of trust. Uh, slaves never had sandals because the idea was you couldn't run very far if you didn't have shoes. Um, so you only gave shoes to people that you trusted. And so here a picture of trust and trust is critical in marriage. Don't lie to one another. Uh, be honest with one another. Remember trust is such a fragile thing. It's 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 so hard to build it, but it's so easy to to lose it. Uh, and so trust is is critical. Uh, and then he 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 talks about her beauty, which also refers to um, character traits. But um, uh, we don't have time to go into those. Um, okay, but you're seeing that he continues to love her and delight in her. Um, verse 11 of chapter 7, she says to him, Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Uh, here she's liberated. Okay, so uh, what you'll notice in in uh, Song of Solomon is actually it's it's the... It's the wife who does most of the initiating of sexual intimacy. Here she says, come, let's go out. Let's go on holiday, basically. Let's have a romantic getaway. Let's go and stay in the villages. Let's go out of town. Um, there I will give you my love, verse 12. Um, verse 13, the mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our, door, our doors are all choice fruits. Mandrakes were an aphrodisiac. She says, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh my beloved. Uh, and so uh, she is creative, got new tricks and old tricks. Uh, she's creative in sexual intimacy. She takes initiative. Um, uh, there's an excitement, and but it also takes work, okay? Um we tend to think in the world that, you know, it's, it's young people who are just sleeping around having the best sex. But the bi biblical picture is that as one grows in love and knowledge of a person and works, both spouses work at this. Uh, and statistically and all of these things, it's proven that the sex will get better. Okay, um, But it does take work and it takes both partners to work at it. And to learn one another's bodies and to learn uh, to love one another. Um, okay, then she says in chapter 8, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you. Okay, now that sounds pretty weird. What's going on here? She's wishing he was a brother. And she doesn't mean that in a biblical sense like <laughs> another Christian. Um uh, what what's going on here is that in that culture, in you could only you could only kiss your siblings in public, okay. So that's what she's saying. She's saying, you know, when we're in public, I just want to kiss you. I wish you were a brother that I could just grab you and kiss you. Um, 
And uh, again, you have in verse 3, the sexual position. And then she says in verse 4, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So what's going on here? I thought they were married. Now she's saying don't awaken love. Uh, well, I think that what it means is uh, in public. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen a, you know, you walk somewhere and you've seen a couple in public that are really intimate. They're all over one another. It's distressing and, and disturbing and ungodly. And that's what she's saying. She's saying, I just want to grab you and kiss you and be with you, but don't awaken love in public. Okay. It's, un, it's ungodly. It's a stumbling block to other people. Okay. Um, there is a right place um, to be intimate and a right. Uh, so, uh, it's not to be in, in public. And then, verse 6, we actually come to the first place where where they now begin to philosophize about love. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. That, the Hebrew can be translated, love is stronger than death, and I think that's the correct translation. Set me as a seal upon your heart. You see, God created marriage as a covenant because uh, the, the idea is that in a promise, then you are free to be who you really are. Uh, when people just live together, it's always performance-based. Uh, you know, you just have to be, you know, I wonder if this person is going to leave tomorrow. There's nothing holding it together. And so it's stressful. You also lower your standards. It's proven that people will live together with someone that they wouldn't marry. Um, and so God's created this wonderful institution of marriage that has unfortunately been um, attacked. But the principle is it's to make a promise, a seal upon your hearts for one another, a covenant so that you are, you, you are free you can truly trust and be yourself um, in the right way. When I say be yourself, that doesn't mean you can be rude or selfish or sinful. Um, but but uh, the personality God, is, God has given you. And love is stronger than death. And of course, as Christians, that's the gospel. It, the love of Christ is stronger than death. If you're a Christian, then uh, you will never taste death because, because of Christ's love. He tasted it for you. Uh, and this love is powerful and dangerous, okay? It's flashes of flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. That's why it's supposed to be in a covenant relationship. It is the only safe place for this sort of incredible power of of true, passionate, romantic, intimate love. Uh, anywhere else it's destructive. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Okay, um, We don't have time to go into a theology of, of flooding, floods and all of these things, but it's just saying nothing can destroy love. And so it's a really beautiful passage. And then, just quickly, it ends pretty weird, it seems. Verse 8, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? So he had, she has a sister who has not reached puberty yet. Um, 
Verse 9, if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Um, okay, and so the picture is here, they need to protect their sister. Okay, remember the brothers right at the beginning, they had made her work. Uh, and so they looked after her, uh, protected her, and they need to protect this sister. Uh, she mustn't be a door, you know, opening up for men. She must be a wall. Okay, and so again, in family, brothers should look out for their sisters. Um, it's, it's, and there's, of course, as believers, looking out for one another, protecting one another from sexual sin. She says, verse 10, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. So she was, she was a wall. She wasn't a door. Um, and even when she, she had passed puberty, she was still a wall. And then it talks about Solomon, but so if it's Solomon who wrote it, he's talking about himself here. Verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He led out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. Sorry, my vineyard, my very own is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the, th the thousand. Again, it's hard to understand, but... Uh, I think that what's going on here is a reflection. Solomon is reflecting. Remember how many wives and concubines did he have? A thousand. A thousand at the vineyard. She says, my vineyard, my body is my own. You can have your thousands, Solomon. Okay. You see, it's a choice. You know, he, he chose the thousand. He chose uh, sin instead of the, the beauty that... That God has has uh, uh, wanted. I remember it's idealized. It doesn't mean everyone's going to get this, or that's even possible. But it is possible in Christ, in our relationship with Christ. It pushes us to Him because He's the only one who can truly satisfy us. But I think that's what's going on here. Uh, and then, lastly, she finishes the psalm. Is finishes uh, the song finishes off verse fourteen. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices mountains of spices reference to her body and so she's still longing for him so right at the end through their marriage there is still this desire for for one another and uh, that's the the picture of of what one wants in marriage okay so that's a race through it i know we're a bit over time i don't know is there time for questions kaya um i think if you need to leave, then I guess you can leave. But if you're able to stay across the mic and get questions, that would be great. So yeah, if you have questions, please shoot, guys. Okay, is it all crystal clear? Hi, Pastor Mike. Yes, Jeremiah. How are you? Willing yourself, brother. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And also greetings to everyone in the meeting and Kaya as well. Yeah. I, I do have a question. So, and again, thank you very much for, for, for the presentation. It was really straight to the point. So I think most of us in the group are more, more or less on the stage whereby we still either looking for partners or are pursuing or but we're not yet 
on the marriage side and all that. Yeah. So my question is basically on the side of whereby either you're in a relationship or you are planning to be in a relationship, but then your potential partner, and again, this is mainly for, for the men, there may be the, uh, the partner that you have identified or that you're dating or looking for, like for to do that, might be in one shape or form, um, way advanced in terms of say maybe for example career um, and 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 um, probably you know let me just limit this into career for example so for for us for us men and i'll speak for myself um there, there is this challenge that comes in to say well if i'm not yet there either financially or in my career in, in, in terms of my progress in my career. So we tend to, or I, at least I tend to say, let me limit myself at this position. I wouldn't necessarily speak to somebody who is a little bit more advanced in that sense, because it comes in as a, how can I put it? Um, there's, there's, there's that aspect that, you know, uh, I feel I need to improve and before I even take that step. So in terms of, I like I, I like I do understand very well that in terms of marriage and relationship it's not all based on money and all of that. Um, but it, we can agree that there's a sense of influence that comes as a result of that as well. Um, so my question would be how should we as heritage men and women um, um, view this difference um, that comes in sometimes you might I might be interested with like in a rich man, but I'm not I'm in a rich woman, but then I'm not coming from a rich family or something. And there's that imbalance and it comes in as a challenge, I think for for most. So how do we how, how like how, how do we marry that to how 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 do we view this properly and and, and in God's life to be able to balance this difference, if I may put it like that. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Uh, I think the scripture is is, is uh, clear. You know, it says if a man doesn't, you know, provide for his family, he's worse than an, an unbeliever. So there is the responsibility on a man's shoulders, ultimately, to provide for his family. Um, now, that doesn't mean he has to earn more than his wife or something like that. Uh, remember Proverbs 31 is very clear. That lady is, is uh, very entrepreneurial. She's buying fields. She's uh, making clothes. She's, uh, she's working hard and, and seems to be earning a lot. Lydia in Acts uh, was a wealthy uh, merchant. Uh, she, she, was a, she traded in, in purple in, in that, that color, which was very, very expensive. Um, so, it's not not to say, you know, I, I need to be earning more than my wife or something like that. But um, at the end of the day, if, if, if that, you know, for example, if the wife was unable to earn any money, um, the husband needs to be able to provide for his family. Um, so there, there's still that that needs to be there. Uh, and so that would be, I would say that's the wilderness period that 
where a man has to has to reach that place now again it doesn't mean you have to live in in uh you know Bryanston or something like that um but if the lady that you are pursuing like you know that's where she wants to live then it's you know um my mom used to say you can't have champagne tastes with beer money uh so you you know it's the person will be unhappy and always resentful so you just also again need to be aware of that um but if a person is is uh is content uh, then that's fine as long as you're able to provide for the needs of the family um and whatever st- standard of living that that is um that you you can survive uh, that is that is a, a an important principle um now let's say you can provide but your wife still earns a lot more or your future wife or potential wife um and you find that very threatening um you know then that's probably also not not helpful um and may and if she looks down on you etc cetera, etc cetera. so those are other things you'd have to figure out in the process of of seeing one another um and not just sort of pretend they don't exist it might be you know it's well this this won't actually work because i'll always feel inferior or she'll always feel this guy's a bit of a loser you know you those are real things but if both of you are fine with it it's not a big deal um um so when i say that i know it doesn't sound very romantic or anything like that it's just to say it's it's real life it's real people and marriage is difficult enough you don't want to add extra issues um which which could be avoided and just sort of say oh well love will love will sort it all out it's fine uh, the bible doesn't teach that you don't have an obligation to marry someone or feel sorry for them or you know let's make it as hard as possible you know i'm going to really no once you're married though then there's no going back that's the person god intended for you to marry and till death do you part uh, but before that uh, there's there's freedom and you want to you you want to reduce difficulties as much as possible potential difficulties any any other questions uh if you my a question of mine if you are courting someone how long should you date for you know ideally yeah um it's a difficult one cuz as a, i think you need that that tension between what we see in song of solomon you need to see the person under pressure how they respond to pressure difficulties what comes out of them what's their character like uh you need to see their friends what type of friends they have and what what their friends think of them what other people think of them uh and what godly other godly people think of them godly leaders and then on the other side 1 Corinthians 7 so that you don't sin sexually don't don't make it too long okay so those two um so um i i can't give you a number <laughs> uh 
um, I would say if you if you if you if the person is in a in a in a faithful church is a is a a, a member baptized member in a faithful church so a member in good standing in a faithful church that you're familiar with you're familiar with that person's friends male of you know the the this is, this is from both sides it's not just men for ladies it's ladies and men to know what type of man man uh, this person is um so you know you might even have sort of grown up a bit together or spend a lot of time together so that's you sort of already know you've spent you've seen the person over years um and they're in a, a, a good church they're they're active in the church etc cetera, etc cetera. then that part's already dealt with and so then there isn't really a reason why why you'd have to court for very long at all um uh, sorry, and, and with the godly council, so godly people, godly leaders are, are like, yeah, no, there's, as far as we know, there's no issues. Um, remember, no, nothing's perfect. You can't see someone's heart. And we change. Marriage changes us. Um, but then I would say it, it doesn't need to be long. Um, but if you just, you, you don't know what church the person's at, you don't know if it's a good church, you don't know what the friends are like, then... then it's a much longer process. You really, you really don't need. You don't want to rush in. Okay. Yeah. Let me um, let me close this in prayer. Yeah. Thank you for for coming. Hope that it's helpful. I'll, as I said, I'll send the link uh, to the sermon series, or or Kai will do that. He's much better. Than me at these things, um, but let me close us. Let me close us in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for this incredible book. Um, just smashes the stereotype uh, that uh, people have of what it means to be a Christian and uh, a biblical view of sex. Uh, it is an incredible view, a stunning view, a glorious picture, a beautiful picture, and it points us to to you ultimately, Lord Jesus. Um, because you are the only one who can truly satisfy us and never hurt us. Um, I do pray for my brothers and sisters, uh, those who desire to marry, that you would you would just keep them, keep them pure. Uh, may they continue to trust you. May they not make an idol of marriage, um, but um, uh, provide for them uh, and also help them to be the people the men and the women they need to be, men and women of character, um, and then lead them to the right person. And uh, for those who are married, uh, please be with them and help them to grow in their marriages and to grow in, in biblical intimacy. And uh, just pray that you'd continue to be with us again. We just bring our country to you and cry out to you to be merciful and to work and to use even all this, this sadness and greed and violence uh, to bring men and women to salvation to build your church and we ask these things in your precious name amen thank you everyone thank you very much and good night, night. thanks mr mike
guys. Let it run. Let it run. Thank you.